This is episode 27, and we welcome listeners from Vietnam, hitting 200 cities worldwide. Thank you for your support and my journey. In this episode, we're finally past the training environment and moving into the second Air Force career. Training environments are unique, and they have a lot of oversight in a controlled environment that really isn't the real world. There is no question that I had a great Air Force career before. And now I'm on my way to not only a unique Air Force experience, I'm finally at a point in my life where I'm really thinking more strategically and hoping to focus on the personal side of my life. As you learn throughout my enlisted career, I was busy with school and multiple jobs in addition to the Air Force. Chi-Chi's was a very good experience in leadership and management, yet the hours were brutal. This was going to be the first time in my life where I was in one job with the time and interest in exploring more than just my job. Although that was a high priority initially since I was so new to both being a commissioned officer and to the new career field, I get into an apartment just outside the base in Universal City at the Peppermill Apartments. It was a nice complex and you already know that I like to live close to work. Randolph is a beautiful base. Most bases that house a major air command are, because there's a bit more money, and since each base has at least one four-star general on it, there is an exception, an expectation rather, for a better-looking base. The base is centered around a large circle that encompasses the wing headquarters called the Taj, after the Taj Mahal. Pittsburgh Hall, where I worked, was just off that circle. My office was on the second floor of the building. To give you the lay of our office area, the deputy's office was diagonally across from the director's office. The admin office was the next office up the hallway, and my office, yes, a second lieutenant with an office, was next to the deputy director's office. The organization is very different, though, than most typical units. First, you hear me say director of MWR. Typically, the person in charge of a military organization is a commander, a military officer often as a field-grade officer that is a major or above, although there are commanders who are captains. MWR had a civilian leader at Randolph, hence they called him a director. MWR stands for Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. Hmm, that barely sounds military, doesn't it? MWR had responsibility for just what it says. Our organization was responsible for facilities that were morale-enhancing, supported the welfare of the entire base community, including civilians and military families, and recreational activities for off-duty and sometimes official activities. So, what's included? Child development centers and youth centers for family members to recreation centers, bowling centers, and golf courses for everyone. Back then, most bases had both enlisted and officer clubs that included large ballrooms, restaurants, and a broad range of activities. The recreation part included facilities like outdoor recreation that would rent boats and tents and so forth, hunt and saddle clubs for those who owned horses, aero clubs who wanted to fly or learn how to fly, it was the Air Force after all, arts and crafts centers, libraries, and others. MWR also included fitness centers, swimming pools, and athletic fields designed for both military fitness as well as recreation with intramural sports. 
is sometimes called the business side of the Air Force because while many of the programs are free, some require fees like club membership, child care fees, and rental fees. Unlike funds appropriated by Congress, these monies were called non-appropriated funds or NAF funds, and those funds paid for the employees that were not paid by taxpayers. MWR programs were to be self-sufficient without making money nor losing it. So we had our own financial officer, human resources personnel, marketing, and others to support the NAF program. Finally, MWR had liaison responsibility for the base's department stores under the Army and Air Force Exchange Service, or EFIS. That includes the main exchange, gas station, class 6 store or liquor store, military clothing sales, and specialty stores. We also had liaison responsibilities for the commissary or the grocery stores on base. While we didn't run these programs, we were the organization that was the conduit between them and the base leadership. It was a curious relationship, and frankly, more when there were problems so the commander had a direct report to express dissatisfaction to. There is the lay of the land. It's a complex organization and a lot to learn for me. As the operations officer, it was the grooming position to become a director of MWR at bases where the leader was a military officer as directors were a blend across the service. In this period of history, most of the MWR directors were military, although that would shift somewhat over time. I was the only military officer, and there was a split of responsibilities between me and the deputy who was also a civilian. That's where our organization was also a little bit different than most. When the civilian was the director, the deputy was often a military officer, and vice versa. In our case, the director and the deputy were both civilians. We only had a handful of military enlisted personnel for wartime deployment purposes who worked in either the recreation center, fitness center, or the clubs. Over time, you'll learn how today's MWR is not the MWR of the 1980s, and how I was actually a part of the transformation of this over the course of my career, and actually early in my career, as you'll learn. Frankly, I was the right person at the right time. Alas, I'm getting ahead of the story. After OTS, I go back to Hampton. By this time, my sister, who was dating that Navy service member, fell in love, and after a short engagement, got married. I can tell you that she was both happy and in love, and so after they were married, I was able to sell the home there, which was easy to do with that addition and carport that I added and talked about in an earlier episode. She was on her way to both married life and the start of a very happy and successful life settling down in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Remember that one of my priorities that I started looking into just ahead of going back into the military was to legally change my name. So, in May 1986, my name would change for the fourth time. My new name was Tom H. Terwilliger, spelled T-H-O-M. Changing my name was important to me because recognition that I was adopted and needed to find my own identity Having a name that I felt was more appropriate to what I wanted is why I did it. 
In the military, if you don't have a middle name or only have an initial for a middle name, your name on documents to include appraisals say either NMN for no middle name or IO in parentheses after the initial for initials only. I did not want that. So I went back to court and had the judge decree that my name was now THOM H period Terwilliger, making the punctuation part of my middle name. I had to appear before a judge to explain this, and he didn't quite understand why I was changing it again, because to him it was the same. However, he agreed to order, adjudge, and decree that my name was not just an initial. The Air Force, surprisingly, accepted that, so my name never had an I.O. after it. We're up to the fifth name change and more to come. Most everyone would spell my name T-H-O-M, and a short while later, I got a letter from Grandma, and it was addressed to Thomas Terwilliger. I called her and interweaved that my name was legally changed to Tom, as nicely as you can with a grandparent. Grandma, with a change in tone and voice, said, Is your last name still Terwilliger? Well, instead of making a joke as I wanted to, I said, Yes, Grandma, it is. So, here I am. I'm learning about the organization, and it is my sense that with my restaurant experience, that was likely why the Air Force chose MWR for me, because the clubs were one of the most significant parts of the organization, and certainly one that affected nearly everyone on base. It was the gathering point for large meetings, award ceremonies, where many gathered for lunch and even dinner, and hosted senior leadership events. Retirees in the local area also could join the club and participated in many of their own events, as well as those with active duty members. I was put in charge, of course, of the military training for our military personnel for readiness, as well as the library, aero club, and publicity or the marketing programs. These were typically low-threat areas that would give me a chance to supervise small teams as well as have a defined area of responsibility. As operations officer, generally is very much like second in charge of the organization, and as I said, in ours, it was kind of a split responsibility between the deputy and me, although I typically got those division-wide projects that were on, uh, let's say, the uh, ones that he didn't want. Additionally, as the only officer in the organization, I had plenty of additional duties. I was a safety officer, the crime prevention officer, the training manager, the comsec officer, the plans officer, the wing drug, blah, 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 blah. It was a lot. At one point, I had almost 20 additional duties. On the plus side, I also filled in as section chief and branch chief when there was either a vacancy or an incumbent who was on extended leave for some time. That gave me a lot of experience across the entire organization as I would grow in my position and advance in MWR and the Air Force. My boss was Mr. Les Colson. He was an Army veteran 
and well-respected across the MWR community. In part, being the director on a base program at a MAGCOM base also adds a great deal of networking and high visibility. Now you know that I have a great sense of humor. And he did too, although I was definitely funnier than he was. The problem is that he knew when to be funny, and sometimes, let's say, I was less cognizant of those realizations in those early years. I would be in staff meeting and someone would say something and I would make a joke, and sometimes they would land and sometimes not. Sometimes being a lieutenant was convenient. I got better over time, don't worry. Within the company grade officer corps in the Air Force, there are second and first lieutenants and captains. 99% of the time, you're a second lieutenant for two years, first lieutenant for two years, and then captain for what seems like forever. These three grades are called company grade officers. To promote camaraderie and a chance to meet peers and engage in activities with other CGOs, the CGOC, or Company Grade Officer Council, was an official organization on the base. Being part of this was important to both network as well as learn, especially as second lieutenants. Because I was in an organization made up of mostly civilians, this was an important organization for me to join for career development as well as for meeting others. Generally, you'll see more active members on the junior side because the CGOC was also the pool from which the commander would go to for volunteers for a variety of activities on the base. One of the most typical was an escort officer for events at the MAGCOM, the wing, or the base level. This was to open doors, serve as guides, and those types of activities for very senior leaders. It was also great for FaceTime, as well as to be part of the biggest events on the base. At the time, the ATC commander was General Osway. He was a relatively short man, and one of the criteria he had was that anyone escorting him had to be of similar or shorter stature. So, here I am. Several times, I would be the one to open and close the door for him or be the guide at the entrance on his arrival and so forth. It was kind of cool. You don't really interact with the individual. Your job was to, was to do the relatively rote task in an invisible manner. Sometimes there would be a dry run, a briefing, and sometimes not. There was a time when I was General Osway's escort officer. My job was to open the door for him and close it after he got into his vehicle. When closing the door, you want the door to follow his foot into the car so it's a nice, smooth operation. Often, it is. One time, he paused for a split second that I did not see, and so I caught his foot in the door. And while ever so briefly, he looked at me with the expression of, what the heck are you doing? This was when you want to quickly cover your name tag and walk away. Oh well, I was sure I was going to hear about it later. Luckily, it only happened once. The admin office had three women who worked there. 
Rosemary was Les's secretary and the lead. She taught me a lot. I can't remember the name of the deputy secretary. And then there was Margie. Margie was kind of like my admin support when I needed it. She was also the person that Les would call to when he needed me for something. I mentioned that my office was next to the deputy's office. Interestingly, to get to my office, I would have to go through his office to get to mine. However, there was a door onto the balcony in my office. You can see the balcony area on the photo in the episode photos. The balcony ran the length of the building and there was a stairwell to the ground floor. It was my habit to keep my flight cap in the top drawer of my desk when I first got to Randolph. Over time, I changed that. I would leave my flight cap on the right corner of the desk, and you'll see why in a moment. I liked that I had an office. I didn't like that I had to go through Bill's office to get to it. He was out a lot of the day at the various facilities, as I was as well, because you're supposed to be out and about. When I wanted to get out, sometimes I would go out the side door. Margie learned that if she could see my flight cap on the desk, I was somewhere in the building. Or was I? If I had two flight caps, I could put one in my desk drawer and one was on the desk. I would wear the desk one when I was out and about and I was doing official things and so forth. I would use the drawer one when I wanted to go out and run errands or whatever and escape out the side door. Back then, the base personnel office was called CBPO or Consolidated Base Personnel Office. The other term for CBPO was Commissary BX and Post Office, meaning we were out running some kind of personal errand. Margie was awesome. She covered for me when I would sneak out the side door. She just learned to look in the top drawer to see whether I was in the building or not. Another little trick I used to play was on my boss. In the Air Force, when you fill out a leave slip, you put the date of the start and stop date. When appropriate, you also add the time. Since military personnel are on duty 24-7, if you take leave over the weekend or a holiday, it counts as a day of leave. However, if you report to duty for at least half a day, that full day does not count as a day of leave. So I often would take leave at noon on one day and return before noon on the end day, therefore saving two days of leave. My boss got used to that, and since it was all perfectly within the rules, it was no problem. In fact, I would say half the time, he would say, oh, why don't you take a half day off on one end, and then I would get a free day. I told you, my boss was awesome. Sometimes I would be at work and I would go ready, get ready to go home on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And as I passed his office, I would yell into him and say, see you on Monday. It would register in his head and he would yell out, wait, aren't you here tomorrow? And I would stop, back up and say, yes, I will see you tomorrow and I'll see you on Monday. See, I am funnier than he was. Anyway, I did that fairly often. 
And Marge's office was across from Les's, and I could always hear her snicker when I did that. From my earliest mentors when I was enlisted, you'll see that Les Colson was not only a great supervisor and leader, he was a wonderful mentor. He always gave me a lot of rope, more than enough to get in trouble, and he never pulled it back. It's not that I didn't get in some hot water from time to time. It's that I was always a quick learner and learned from my mistakes. New officers have an appraisal at the 6th and 12th month period. Then they are annual after that. I got there on January 1986, and for the quarter, April through June 1986, I am the 12th Air Base Group Company Grade Officer of the Quarter. That appraisal says, Lieutenant Tuliger is, without a doubt, an extremely dependable, energetic, and intelligent officer. Don't worry, over time I'll show them that they're wrong. I met two folks in the CGOC that became really great friends. The first was Ed. He was the services operations officer, and he was able to help me as he had at least a year on me, and I was able to help him with my experiences in services. The other was Steve. Steve was a brilliant guy who we just clicked from the start. I hung out with both of them often, off-duty, and it was great. Ed was a runner, and well, me, not so much. He was very athletic, and again, me, not so much. Anyway, he worked on the other side of the base, and eventually he convinced me that I should run during lunch. That was kind of a thing back then at Randolph. People would run over lunch along the flight line. Being less inclined to want to do this, Ed finally said, Well, you better be ready. I'm going to pick you up on my way, since he had to drive from his office to the gym. Darn it. That excuse was now gone. So, I start running during lunch with Ed. It was, of course, good for me, and we would chat about things that were on our minds with our bosses and bounced ideas off each other. It really was a valuable time for us. Now, during most of the year, running along the runway is not fun. It is hot. Texas sun hot. It's unforgiving, and the heat from the tarmac was even worse. After the run, Ed would then go to the gym and do exercises. Me? Since the gym was part of MWR, I would go into the office, lay on the floor in the air conditioning, and cool down. I'd gauge how long Ed would be, get up, shower in time to get dropped off back at my office. I always passed my front test. Thanks, Ed. So I'm learning my new job, making friends, and the first additional issue that rose was that I wasn't getting paid. My check was a fraction of what it was supposed to be. I checked with the finance officer and they said it would catch up. And it wasn't catching up. My account was aligned apparently with another person named Terwilliger and it took almost three months for the finance officer to fix things. Notably, my pay was more than my peers because there's what is called the O1E pay scale. It correlates to second and first lieutenants and captains who were enlisted for at least four years, and you got more pay than a typical company grade officer. Example, a second lieutenant made 1260 a month in 1986, 
while my pay was fifteen eighty six per month. I was only getting paid a couple hundred dollars. Finally, I had to get my boss involved, and they gave me a lump sum payment so I could take care of my rent and so forth. Next, I had another big issue. I was having abdominal pain. So, as you would expect, I went to the doctor. At the time, my doctor was a fairly new physician. He was really nice and willing to try to help with the problem. The pain was so bad that I would be doubled over, and sometimes it would last more than a day. I didn't think it was something to share with my boss as long as I was able to take care of work. It was, however, getting worse and more frequent. It was so bad that I was uncomfortable driving to the hospital, so I would walk over. It really wasn't that far, just very uncomfortable, especially sometimes in the heat. Weeks passed, and there still wasn't any resolution. The problem was that they couldn't give me medication because they didn't know what the problem was. So I was at the hospital one day, and he said, "There's nothing I can do," and I was in a fair amount of pain. On the way back to my office, by chance, my boss was driving back. He saw me, and he was really upset that the hospital let me go, and I was barely able to walk. He took me back to the hospital, and oh no, we're out of time for the episode. So at least you know I survived because here I am. However, looking back, there would be a bit of humor and learn how I had to rely on my friends in the wee hours of the morning several times, which wasn't fun for them at all. Next week, we'll tell you what happened, and I'll have another dose of purple rain, so you'll want to come back and see how things turn out. Until next week, I hope you're welcoming spring wherever you are. As a bonsai enthusiast, I learned how to force spring on my little ones, and that process started last Sunday. So I'll keep you posted. We'll see you then.